Hello and welcome to Southern Middle Tennessee Today on WKOM and WKRM Radio, your hometown news broadcasting from Columbia, Tennessee. I'm your host, Tom Price. Today is Monday, October 16th, and we start with local news. International United Auto Workers President Sean Fain didn't announce any new strikes taking place on Friday, including the largest General Motors plant in North America in Spring Hill, but said a new strategy will be implemented. That strategy could mean an unannounced walkout in Spring Hill in the coming weeks. A surprise call to strike in Kentucky highlighted the fourth week of the UAW strike, and during the Friday livestream update, Fain said going forward, this surprise action would be the new normal. We are entering a new phase of this fight, and it demands a new approach. We are done waiting until Fridays to announce the expansion of our strike, he told tens of thousands of viewers across YouTube, Facebook, and X. Fain spoke of General Motors, Ford, and Stellantis becoming complacent in negotiations, waiting until the Friday livestream update to bring credible deals to the negotiation table. Ford has already stiffened its bargaining capacity after raising wages up to 23%, according to the Detroit Free Press. Going forward, little forewarning will come before a plant goes on strike, Fain said. Not just Fridays, not just Ford, he said. Spring Hills UAW Local 1853 President John Rutherford said the climate locally has been one of anticipation, but no action will be taken immediately. Fain's Friday announcement means Spring Hill could join the fight at any time, Rutherford said. On September 22nd, Fain told members of the UAW in the Spring Hill plant, GM's largest plant in North America, to wait to join the stand-up-and-strike strike. But in his messages since, Spring Hill has not been specifically mentioned. It sound like, sounds like he's done playing the slow game and ready to ramp things up, Rutherford said. It can be any day now, any plant. It's nice to see the men and women up north are playing chess instead of checkers now, he said. It will be a roller coaster every day instead of just on Fridays now. I'm hoping we can get a little heads up so we can get the word out there if it were to happen, he said. Rutherford added that while Spring Hill is yet to be called on to strike, many of the local workers have pitched in to visit the picket lines in areas like Memphis, which shut down during the strike's second week. We've got plans in motion to bring a group to go support Kentucky this week or next weekend, Rutherford said. The Kentucky plan is one of the largest with more than 9,200 workers, and so they can use all the help they can get, he said. UAW Benefits Representative Mike Miller, who has experience in many UAW strikes during his career, called the latest one one of the most unique of them all, but I kind of like the way that it's going, he said. This has been a very unique way of negotiating, and I like the way President Fain is going with it, and I believe he's going to get us a good contract. That's what we are all waiting on, Miller said. My family is a GM family, and everything we do in the UAW is all intertwined. I thought we would go the first week, he said. A strike has been much speculated in Spring Hill after a reported 25,000 auto workers of the union's 150,000 members took up signs officially walking out of GM, Ford, and Stellantis plants across 21 states in the last month. More than 3,000 United Auto Workers members are employed at the Spring Hill plant and are producing hundreds of vehicles per day under the expired contract. It has been a month since workers across 21 states and 42 General Motors, Ford, and Stellantis facilities are on the picket line striking for a better contract. After the first week of the strike, 38 plants were called to join the strike in week two. 
Fain called for workers at the Ford Assembly Plant in Chicago and GM's Lansing Delta Township Plant to walk out. And on Wednesday night, Ford's Kentucky Truck Plant in Louisville, with an estimated 9,000 more workers, joined the picket lines. Fain asked all UAW workers and supporters to find one of many UAW strike lines on Saturday to picket and offer support for their fight. We're here to address decades of unfair treatment of auto workers, Fain said. Bring them food, music, and solidarity, he said. During Friday morning's live stream, Fain also addressed criticism for raising UAW members' expectations. Our broken economy is what's raising our members' expectations, he said. Our members are right to be angry. Corporate America rebounded after the Great Recession, he said. Meanwhile, the working class has kept going backwards. Every day, nonprofit arts and cultural organizations across the United States contribute to the vitality of communities fostering creativity, celebrating diversity, and bringing joy to residents. The recently released Arts and Economic Prosperity 6, or AEP 6, study demonstrates that investing in this sector is not only an investment in cultural enrichment, but also in economic growth and community well-being. In the city of Columbia, the arts and culture sector generated $6.1 million in economic activity in 2022. This included $2.6 million in spending by arts and culture organizations and an additional $3.5 million in event-related expenditures by their audiences, according to the AEP6 report. This economic activity supported 100 jobs, provided $3.4 million in personal income to residents, and generated $974,000 in tax revenue to local, state, and federal governments. AEP6, an in-depth economic and social impact study of the nation's nonprofit arts and culture industry, showcased remarkable results. The study includes 373 regions across all 50 states, ranging from rural to large urban communities. Nationally, in 2022, the arts and culture industry sector generated a staggering $151.7 billion in economic activity. This included $73.3 billion in spending by arts and culture organizations and an additional $78.4 billion in event-related expenditures by their audiences. This economic activity supported 2.6 million jobs, provided $100.1 billion in personal income to residents, and generated $29.1 billion in tax revenue to local, state, and federal governments. For Columbia's role in the study, the Columbia Arts Council spearheaded all survey data collection efforts for more than a year, attending local arts-related events to gather completed surveys from event attendees. Columbia Mayor Chaz Mulder stated, the Arts and Economic Prosperity 6 study demonstrates that the arts are a driving force behind our city's economic growth and community pride. We're grateful to the Arts Council members who played an important role in this national study. Columbia is enriched by a vibrant arts and culture scene, and this study underscores the importance of continuing to invest in and support this industry. The arts play a pivotal role in making Columbia a wonderful place to live, work, and visit, he said. The study highlighted the vital role arts and culture play in building livable communities, acting as catalysts for entrepreneurship and enhancing nighttime economies. Additionally, the AEP6 study expanded beyond economic data to include social impact measurements, revealing that 89% of attendees reported that the events they attended inspired a sense of pride in their neighborhood or community, while 86% stated they would feel a great sense of loss if the activity or venue were no longer available. 
arts and culture strengthen the visitor economy. In the city of Columbia, 48.1% of attendees are non-local visitors who traveled from outside Murray County who spend an average of $23.98. Additionally, 90.2% of non-local attendees reported that the primary purpose of their visit was specifically to attend the performance, event, exhibit, venue, or facility where they were surveyed. The study also emphasized the importance of equitable funding for arts and culture organizations, highlighting that proportional economic and community impacts were observed regardless of an organization's racial or ethnic composition. In conclusion, the AEP6 study reaffirms that investing in the arts and culture sector is an investment in the economic vitality and well-being of communities. By supporting this industry, leaders are creating more livable, inclusive, and vibrant environments for residents and visitors alike. For more information on the AEP6 study, visit www.columbiaartscouncil.com. A proposal to terminate a decades-long tax incentive contract with General Motors to make way for an updated contract failed in the Murray County Budget Committee meeting last week. The proposal recommended by the county's Industrial Development Board, or IDB, failed by a split vote of the Budget Committee. If passed, the proposed resolution would terminate the pilot, or pay-in-lieu-of-taxes, contract between the county and General Motors, which allows a 60% tax abatement. The agreement has been in place since 1985. A new deal based on the plant's expansion would then be pursued. GM has negotiated a new pilot with the IDB. Additionally, a new pilot has been negotiated with Altium on the GM campus, and whereas the old pilot must be terminated, which has been recommended by the IDB, the resolution states. The full commission will consider the resolution at its regular meeting tonight. The item sparked tense debate among budget committee members last week. When Budget Committee Chairman Tommy Wolliver, District 10, made a motion to allow Jim Parks, past chairman of the IDB, to speak before the committee before the vote, Commissioner Eric Previtti, standing in for committee member Gwyn Evans of District 2, objected to the action. Previtti explained that the action would violate Robert's Rules of Orders by allowing a non-member of the IDB to speak on the issue when the IDB has already made a recommendation on the contract. However, after a few roll call votes deciding whether to allow Wolliver to suspend the rules to allow Parks to speak, the majority of the committee members sided with Wolliver and ultimately allowed Parks to address the committee. Parks argued that the commission should pursue a fixed payment with the auto giant and study its square footage. When asked for his opinion, County Attorney Daniel Murphy stated that if the Budget Committee voted against terminating the existing contract, they could face a potential lawsuit from GM since both the IDB and GM have been in negotiations for a year, reaching an agreement. Existing IDB Chairman Stuart Parker addressed the issue by video conference, emphasizing that the County Commission in 2020 had voted on terminating the contract, thus setting the foundation for the deal. Parker said the IDB is abiding by the 2020 Commission's wishes. Columbia State Community College recently hosted a college fair for Murray County High School students. Over 30 colleges and universities were represented at the event, including Columbia State, Middle Tennessee State University, the University of Tennessee, Austin Peay State University, and UT Southern. Columbia State has been the proud host of the Murray County College Fair for many years now, said Crystal Creekmore, Columbia State Assistant Director of Admissions and Recruitment. The College Fair provides juniors and seniors access to meet with representatives from more than 30 different institutions, she said. 
The event is held every year for approximately 1,000 Murray County High School students to meet colleges and universities from the region and help them visualize their future. The Murray County College Fair is a fun way for the 11th and 12th grade students of Murray County to meet representatives from colleges, universities, TCATs, and branches of the U.S. military, said Emily Frisch, Columbia State Enrollment Recruiter. There was also a Tennessee Student Assistance Corporation representative to share about Tennessee scholarship opportunities. It was exciting to be part of helping provide this opportunity for students as they think about their next steps. We look forward to hosting the fair again next year, she said. First Farmers and Merchants Corporation, the holding company for First Farmers and Merchants Bank, announced last week that Ernest Anye has joined the bank as its information security officer. We are pleased to announce that Ernest Anye joined our bank in the newly created role of information security officer, stated Brian K. Williams, First Farmers chairman and CEO. His extensive experience in information technology and cybersecurity will enhance our information security strategies in conjunction with our information technology team, bank regulators, and other industry-relevant security standards. In this new role, he is responsible for planning, implementing, and maintaining information security measures to safeguard the bank's corporate and customer information. In addition, he is charged with strengthening our ability to manage the ever-evolving cybersecurity risks that are targeted at financial institutions, he said. Anya holds a doctorate in information technology and is certified in information systems security. His experience includes IT security controls, software development, IT compliance, risk assessment, and telecommunications. He has a solid record of implementing robust strategies to drive enhanced process involvement, expertise in network and system security, risk management, incident response, disaster recovery, and vulnerability assessment. Prior to joining First Farmers, Anya held initiatives for information security, risk analysis, incident response, and vulnerability assessment for University of Missouri Healthcare. He also serves as an adjunct instructor in information technology at Indiana Wesleyan University. Anya is a graduate of Grambling State University with a Bachelor of Science in Computer Science. He received his Doctorate of Information Technology and Master of Science in Information Technology from Walden University. He is a member of the International Information System Security Certification Consortium and Information Audit and Control Association. Duck River Jam, a community event intended to raise awareness and funds to fight a proposed landfill along the Duck River, will take place at 1 p.m. on Sunday, November 5th at Cherry Theater at Columbia State Community College. The event, which will feature performances by local musicians as well as a silent auction, is being organized by the Concerned Citizens Group Protect the Duck River. The group has advocated against plans by Louisiana-based Trinity Business Group to build a 1,300-acre trash disposal complex as close as 1,000 feet from the Duck River at a former Monsanto phosphate processing site in Murray County. The property contains multiple Superfund sites and is mandated for EPA rehabilitation because of hazardous waste contamination. Protect the Duck River was previously involved in successful efforts to convince state lawmakers to pass legislation designating that segment of the Duck River as a Class II scenic river. In April, Governor Bill Lee signed the new law requiring certain water resource projects to be permitted. Trinity Group filed a lawsuit in May appealing the Murray-Marshall Solid Waste Regional Planning Board's rejection of its landfill application. Funds raised at the Duck River Jam will help defray legal costs for opponents of that appeal. 
The Duck River is the most biologically diverse river in North America, as well as the source of drinking water for more than 300,000 people in this community, said Columbia Mayor Chaz Mulder. The Duck River Jam is an opportunity for Middle Tennessee residents to support this precious, fragile resource while enjoying a great day of music and fun, he said. For more information about Duck River Jam or to purchase tickets, please visit www.duckriverjam.com. And now your hometown memorials, sponsored by Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home. Mr. William Royal Dixon, Sr., 88, retired maintenance supervisor from Monsanto, died Saturday, October 14th at his residence in Columbia. Funeral services for Mr. Dixon will be conducted on Wednesday at 2 p.m. at First Family Baptist. Burial will follow in Polk Memorial Gardens. The family will visit with friends on Wednesday from 11 p.m. until service time at the church. Oaks and Nichols funeral directors are assisting the family with arrangements. Mr. Patrick John P.J. Carson, 43, passed away at his home on Friday, October 13th. Funeral services for Mr. Carson will be held Wednesday at 6 p.m. at Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home. The family will visit with friends on Wednesday from 4 p.m. until service time at the funeral home. Mrs. Martha Kinzer Lord, 81, passed away October 12th after a long illness. A memorial service for Mrs. Lord will be conducted on Sunday, October 22nd at 3 p.m. at Williamsport United Methodist Church. Burial will follow in Williamsport Cemetery. The family will visit with friends on Sunday from 2 p.m. until service time at the church. Oaks and Nichols Funeral Directors are assisting the family with arrangements. Hometown Memorials is sponsored by Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home, serving with dignity and consideration for over 150 years. As years go by, people may tend to forget just what a funeral is really all about. At Oaks and Nichols, we believe it's first and always a special remembrance of someone you love. We start by listening to your needs and desires. If you're unsure, we can help gently, professionally. At Oaks and Nichols Funeral Directors, we haven't lost sight of why we're here, to serve Murray County families in the ways they prefer, and why the way you feel has always been so important to Susie and Tony Sowell. When people come here, I hope they feel like they're working with a person who's just like family. And by the time they leave here, I hope they feel like they're a part of our family. What I like most is when a family is leaving, they can say thanks. You made something we thought would be hard easier than we thought it would be. Not that we made it easy, we made it easier. Oaks and Nichols Funeral Directors, 320 West 7th Street in Columbia. Since 1856, people you can rely on. For your southern Middle Tennessee weather, we will have generally cloudy skies today with a high of 58 degrees. Winds will be out of the northwest at 10 to 15 miles per hour. Tonight, we can expect some clouds and a low of 41 degrees. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll cover state and national news that affect you. You're listening to Southern Middle Tennessee Today. Family first. My dad used to tell us that all the time. But family first wasn't just something he'd say to us. It was how he lived every day of his life. And it's how I try to live mine, too. At Shelter Insurance, 
Our agents are dedicated to helping provide personalized auto, home, and life protection that puts your family first. For auto, home, life, or business insurance, see shelter agent Tommy Hyde Jr. at 388-2009. Are you thinking about a new fence? Maybe you need a pole barn. Then you should give Sands Fence Company a call. That's 931-309-1644. Will Sands has built his business based on the principles of honesty, quality, and integrity. Sands Fence Company has been in business for over 20 years, providing the community with farm, residential, residential, and commercial fencing, as well as pole barns and buildings. Call today for a free estimate. Sands Fence Company, 931-309-1644. 931-309-1644. For 40 years, the Jewelers Bench has worked hard for their customers and provided the highest quality jewelry at the best price. They keep going back. Recent renovations have allowed them to expand their inventory. More high-quality jewelry, custom vintage and estate pieces, and professional jewelry and watch repairs. They also buy gold. The Jewelers Bench, still here, still great service. 808 Trotwood Avenue, Columbia. American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning is built to a higher standard, so you can focus on the problems in your life that actually matter, like the drywall that somehow isn't. American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning, built to a higher standard. Call Davis Heating and Cooling at 931-388-2090 for all your home comfort needs. Davis Heating and Cooling is your local American Standard dealer and proudly serves the Murray County area. Find Davis Heating and Cooling online and on Facebook or call today, 388-2090. Hello, this is John McEwen with McEwen Group Real Estate, located at 17A Public Square in beautiful downtown Columbia. Our family has over 40 years' experience selling farms, residential, recreational, and all types of real estate here in Middle Tennessee. Check us out online at McEwenGroup.com or on Facebook and Instagram at McEwen Group, or give me a call today at 931-628-1749. McEwen Group, land is your legacy. Scalpel. Scalpel. Tweezers. Tweezers. Ham sandwich. Ham what? Sandwich. I was going to eat lunch when I got my oil changed earlier, but take five is so fast I didn't have time. But sir, you can't eat during surgery. Eh, one bite won't hurt. Mm. Whoops. Uh, Napkin. Napkin! At take five, your oil change is faster than you think. Take five, the stay-in-your-car 10-minute oil change. Your home is your biggest investment. Getting the most for it when it comes time to sell is important. At The Way Realty, we help you get more by providing all our clients with a full-service real estate company. At no extra cost to you, we help you prepare your house to look its best with home staging, landscaping, professional pictures, marketing on all the major websites, touch-up repairs, and home inspection repairs up to $700. Get more with The Way Realty by reaching out to us to see what we can do for you and to find out the market value of your home. Visit us today at thewayrealtytn.com. Call us at 931-580-4669 or stop by our showroom at 800 Hatcher Lane, Columbia, Tennessee. Welcome back to Southern Middle Tennessee Today on WKOM 101.7 and WKRM 103.7. 
This program is sponsored in part by George Vrelis and the great team at The Way Realty. I'm Tom Price. And now news from around the state. A Sumatran tiger named Anne is expecting cubs in the weeks to come at the Nashville Zoo. The subspecies is critically endangered with only an estimated four to 600 Sumatran tigers left in the world. Heather Schwartz, the director of veterinary services for the zoo, said zoo staff has been able to see three skeletal systems via radiograph and two cubs through ultrasounds. A third cub is likely just out of view on the ultrasound. Zoo staff believe Anne is due anywhere between October 13th and 30th. The pregnancy is the first for Anne, who was born in January of 2016 at the San Diego Zoo and came to Nashville in December. Sumatran tigers gestate for around 100 days. Anne and the father, Felix, were only in the same enclosure for a week, so the zoo team was pleasantly surprised when they realized she was pregnant. They confirmed she was carrying cubs in late August. Felix, who is six years old, is currently on exhibit at the zoo, where he's been since January of 2021, and now spends her time behind the scenes as she nears birth. Anne's primary keeper, Sherry Currens, worked to train her to come into a pen that has metal bars to separate staff from the tiger, lie down, and allow the vet to press a long ultrasound wand covered in lubricant against her belly. The team used target training to prepare Anne for her procedures. The method included teaching her to touch a pole with positive reinforcement like food as a reward. The pole was then used to guide Anne through the process of entering the space where she'd have procedures done and to lie down. The staff trained Anne over the course of several weeks, also working with a dummy ultrasound wand to get her comfortable with it in time for the actual procedure. She's super smart, Corinne said. She picks up things really quickly. The team had a steady supply of meat and goat milk, Anne's favorite treats, to keep her motivated on Tuesday. She was free to go in and out of the pen anytime she wanted and was not sedated or restrained in any way. She expressed her displeasure at times by letting out a few bone-rattling roars, along with hisses and growls, and wandered in and out of the area several times. Ultimately, she cooperated long enough for the team to complete a successful ultrasound. Schwartz and other team and her team were looking for skin and organ development along with the size of each cub's chest in the scan, which is the last they plan to conduct before the birth. Schwartz was able to detect two strong heartbeats on the scan and see their heads were facing the right direction. However, she said a third cub was likely in Anne's other side, out of her reach. She said everything looked to be on track for the birth. That's what I wanted to see, Schwartz said. Good heart rates, good movement, and mom being active. Those are all we can ask for, she said. The zoo staff has a den set up for Anne to give birth and tend to her cubs. The zoo hopes to offer a live video feed of the cubs after they arrive. Like any pregnancy, the risk for complications is present. The team has plans in, in place in case Anne or the cubs need intervention or extra care during, before, or after birth. For example, in some cases, tiger cubs need to be hand-raised by staff if the mother's, d mother does not accept them. Ideally, the cubs will grow up at the zoo with their mother and eventually be outside in their enclosure for the public to see. Learn more about the Nashville Zoo's preservation initiatives at www.nashvillezoo.org. Let's take one last break. When we come back, we'll cover the final story of the day. You're listening to Southern Middle Tennessee Today. 
Hey, this is Derek Ransom with Ten Pin Alley, voted number one family entertainment center in Murray County. We offer 32 bowling lanes, giant arcade, laser tag, bumper cars, and a full cafe and bar menu. We also specialize in group events, kids and adult birthday parties, company parties, sports team parties, and holiday parties. We're located at 322 East James Campbell Boulevard in Columbia. Call us today at 931-381-BOWL or visit us at 10pin.com. Ten Pin Alley, it's where the good times roll. Turner and Osborne Tire Company, 1016 South Main Street in Columbia. Give them a call at 931-388-6822. They've been doing business since 1947 and in their current location since 1964. They provide the best tire and mechanical work at some of the best prices in Middle Tennessee. Hey, they're official Michelin and Goodyear dealers, and they've got all kinds of brands as well. Stop by and see Walker Vining and his professional staff, or check them out online at turnerandosborne.com. That's turnerandosborne.com. Welcome back to Southern Middle Tennessee Today and our final story. Cheekwood Estate and Gardens has announced that its annual holiday lights festivities will return on November 18th. Lights will run through January 7th and tickets go on sale today, October 16th. More than one million lights will be on display throughout the grounds. This year's holiday lights is brighter than ever, Cheekwood President and CEO Jane McLeod said in a release. Each year, we add a little something new while still offering the traditional displays our guests have come to know and love. An equally festive experience awaits guests inside the historic mansion, where this year's theme of candy canes and gingerbread will bring cheer to visitors of all ages, she said. You can learn more about lights and other activities at Cheekwood by visiting www.cheekwood.org. That's all for this edition of Southern Middle Tennessee Today on Kennedy Broadcasting's WKOM WKRM Radio. If you ever miss a part or all of this broadcast, you can listen to it anytime or read the transcript online by visiting frontporchradiotn.com. It's always there for you. I'll be back tomorrow to update you with the latest news. I'm Tom Price. Thanks for listening. Be safe and have a great day.